Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's episode is with Rahama Wright. And now, Rahama started Shea Yulene 10 years ago with the mission of economically empowering women in northern Ghana. And they do that through the sale of premium Shea butter skincare products. Uh, their products are sold in over 120 retailers nationwide, and Whole Foods is their biggest retail partner. Now, Rahama was appointed by President yes. Obama. Uh, advisory Council for Doing Business in Africa, and she was recently selected to be the Queen Boss. <laughs> <laughs> she was recently, yeah, she was recently selected to be on the Queen Boss reality show on BET Central. <laughs> so, pretty, pretty, pretty excited to have her here because she's got a great, great background. And um, um, even though she didn't get to her her aspiring role growing up to be a diplomat, she's already a diplomat without actually getting the degree. So she <laughs> hacked the system. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tayo. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you about not only Shayaline, but about the diaspora, working in Africa, and kind of hearing a little bit about your aspirations as well as, a, as an entrepreneur. Oh, love it. Thank you so much. And, and pleasure is mine. I'm also excited here. Are you, um, I don't know, I, the best way to start this interview, I guess, would be to talk about your story. Can you tell us how it actually started for you? When did you realize that you wanted to do something much more, um, you know, something bigger than the United States? Yeah, well, I think it started with my family. Um, my family has Ghanaian roots in West Africa on my mother's side. And growing up in the small community in upstate New York, being one of the only black kids in my school, an African kid in my school. Um, I was always very fascinated about the different, this issue of like being different. 
Um, and I was also very interested in how my mom grew up because she grew up very differently from me um, without as many resources. Um, she was limited in terms of her choice to be able to go to school. So she was always like, go to school, go to school, go to school. And even though we lived in upstate New York, we had the opportunity through my dad's work um, to travel throughout West Africa when I was young. So I was extremely uh, just a very curious kid. And it started back then just kind of like understanding that we're not all the same, that we don't all have certain resources. Um, and just based on my own family, I was able to, to see that and put those things together. So after I knew very early on in high school, I was going to do Peace Corps. Um, that's what my dad did. That's how he met my mom. And, uh, Initially, I thought I was going to be a diplomat, as you said. I wanted to become a foreign service officer. I interned at the State Department um, in D.C. in their Bureau of Human Rights and Labor. And then from there, I went to the American Embassy in Burkina Faso in Ouagadougou and interned there for a little bit. And that's when the spark around shea butter actually started, because I never knew that shea butter came from Africa. And my mom's Ghanaian. And I was like, oh, wait, this product that I've been buying at these different places comes from here, yet why don't we see that in the marketplace? So in my internship, I started learning about where shea butter came from, learned about its connection to women in Africa. And then after my internship, I went directly. It was like two weeks between my internship and moving to Mali to become a Peace Corps volunteer, um, working at a community health center as a health educator. But again, this issues around um, learning about how women made money, seeing a lot of limitations. Oftentimes women would come to my health center, they would leave unable to buy medicine or unable to pay some of the fees. And these were really, from my perspective, affordable because they, in my American mind, it doesn't, you know, it shouldn't cost a lot to cover an expense that's like a dollar or two dollars. And so from there, I started researching income generating activities for women. Again, shea butter came up. And at that time, um, so that was what, 2003 when I was in Peace Corps. And so I started doing like a secondary project focused on like looking at how to help women in my community um, organize around shea production. And so I officially launched Shea Aline in 05. Um, and initially, again, it was from the lens of, okay, helping women organize into cooperatives, providing them with training, providing them with production equipment, because I thought the problem was they didn't have the capacity to create a great quality product and then connect that product to the marketplace. And so I launched Shailene initially as a 501c3, really focused on the community development aspect. But over the years, it's really the idea and the vision has grown to be more commercialized and a few reasons for that it's not just the capacity building issue it's not that the women don't understand how to make a great quality product um, it's a resource issue and it's also a market link issue and so I did a pivot in 2012 where I created Shailene Health and Beauty and LLC to really look at the commercialization of high quality Shea products sourced directly from the women's cooperatives we were working with. And at that time we were working with women in Northern Ghana. And so the idea behind Shailene is really simple 
connecting the dots, right? Helping these women in these rural communities who are very far removed from the marketplace to actually become more actively involved in the supply chain in a way where they're creating value-added products. So instead of like selling off raw material, actually creating value-added product. And that product is being connected to retailers like Whole Foods. Um, we in, just recently got a, a contract with MGM Resorts International for an entire spa line that we've created for them. And so again, it's really looking at how do you connect these dots? How do you give women the opportunity to link to markets that they necessarily haven't been able to in the past? That's phenomenal. And we're going to get into everything you do around the importance of women in business and taking advantage of, of um, different uh, manufacturing and, and awareness things that you're doing. But I, I want to dive in just a little bit because a lot of people listening have international aspirations. A lot of people listening mm-hmm. have curiosity about the world. Now, right. in your early stage, you, you acknowledge the fact that your mom was, uh, is Ghanaian. Your dad also had you know, the benefit of being in the Peace Corps. I'm very curious as to what your initial perception of of Africa was before you actually started traveling there and how it was surprised you when you went there to see the difference with that perception. Um, the perception, I guess for me, because I grew up, you know, with a mom who told me stories about what life was like for her, I wasn't really surprised. And I also, as a young, you know, child traveling throughout West Africa, I really wasn't shocked or surprised by anything. But I was very frustrated with the fact that I saw so much potential, so much opportunity, but the local community members just could not leverage a lot of these opportunities and resources because they just didn't have the, whether it was support from local government, whether it was um, the financial ability to, whether it was the training, the capacity. So those were the things that frustrated me. And I guess it makes sense because I created an organization to really address those issues from the, sh- the perspective of Shea Butter. But I think that's what frustrated me the most is we oftentimes we hear, oh, there's so much poverty in African countries. There's, you know, so much um, war and health issues and all of these things. Yet we don't really stop and ask the question why, especially when we see that there are so many resources that the rest of the world benefits from, you know, natural resources that are extracted right out of the continent. Mm. Um, And so I think for me, that's what that really, if anything at all, that's what stuck with me the most. Um, You know, in Mali, for example, there are three gold mines, three, three of them. And why is there why is there poverty in Mali? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, if we look at um, different countries where uh, you know the raw material that's extracted for uh, uh, for our cell phones, I can't remember the the I don't think it's bauxite, but one of the raw materials that's extracted for our cell phones come from the Congo, and every single cell phone in the world uses this raw material. Why then is there any sort of um, poverty or unrest there, you know? And so I think for me, it's that we should question the information that we're given and we should, I want to live in a world where, um, we're actively 
supporting and helping people who live in resource-rich countries to actually benefit from those resources. Um, you know, I mean, you have your your Nigerian roots, and you know, we can just we can go down the, the oil and yeah. just yeah. get. You know, why are the surrounding villages that are right near these oil fields struggling with poverty? It's just it just it's one of the things that really frustrates me about the way. Um, the economic system is built globally, where local communities who have access to um, some of the, the wealthiest resources are the ones who suffer the most. And we need to do something to change that. Um, we can't wait for other people to do it. We have to stand up. We have to say this is wrong. Um, consumers of these products should say, I want these companies to be held accountable. I want to make sure that they're ethically sourcing these materials, that they're investing in the local economies. Um, because a lot of the issues that we see would not exist if we held companies at a higher standard. No, and that's something that I'm glad you brought up. So, you know, a lot for those listening, a lot of resources do come from Africa, but a lot of um, what happens in a lot of African countries is that we ship them abroad and then we have them sold to us, even though we were right. made, we made it there. So, you know, right. I know Ghana used to be called the Gold Coast, you know, because it mm-hmm. used to be there in gold. Um, Nigeria is one of the largest exporters of oil, but we create so much oil and we still get, um, we still have to pay premium for a lot of oil products that we've essentially contributed to creating. Same thing happened in South Africa and other countries. So, the question then becomes, how do you change that type of um, distribution? How do you change How do you change the narrative? How do you make it so that we as Africans and, and people from resource-rich countries benefit from the resources that they produce? Because, you know, anyone listening would be like, that doesn't make sense. So how do we make sure that governments get on board of that? Yeah, I think one is that we have to educate ourselves. We have to be aware. Um, If we're looking at it from the perspective of the consumer, uh, you have to know um, and be willing to be curious about how the products that you purchase, how do they get to market? You know, how I think now with the digital age, it's much easier to be able to gather that information. Um, So that's one. And the other thing is, of course, governments have to be involved. Um, and governments have to be willing to uh, make the right decisions for their for their citizens. But I also think governments of countries where that are benefiting from these natural resources also have to kind of stand up as well. And that's why I was really excited about the Doing Business in Africa Advisory Council that was set up by Obama um, because it was really looking at how do we create trade relationships and trade engagement with African countries between African businesses, between American businesses, that's improving and increasing trade between the two continents. And so for me to be someone who's a small business owner, who's focused on a women's issue, who's also really looking at how to support the local economy in these countries, as well as connecting the dots between shea butter producers and consumers, to me, to be part of that council was very indicative of um, kind of the support of business models like shaling, saying that, you know, we want to change these traditional models. We want to look at how do we support um, the right way of doing business. And I got an opportunity to share my story and also share the story of the women that we work with. Um, And I think that 
it's a slow process, but at least it's pushing us in the right direction. And being able to even be on this podcast and, and share the story, I think that's where it, it starts first is in terms of changing the perception issue is we need to talk, we need to better educate ourselves. And then we need to seek those companies that are doing the right thing. Um, there's another company, Medigas, that's also uh, created by a former Peace Corps volunteer and they look at the development of chocolate, all the, the entire process processing locally, working with chocolate farmers in Madagascar. And so I think, again, um, we need to create the business models that produce the world that we want to live in. And then consumers also need to support these business models and kind of vote with their dollar um, by making the choices to change their spending habits so that they can invest in in improving some of these challenges and issues that we see. Um, and then in terms of like holding governments accountable, like for example, African governments accountable, I think that this is where there's an, a very important role of the diaspora, people like you and I, who have this perspective, who have a global perspective, who have the American perspective, but then who are very much interested and rooted in um, our communities of origin to be a part of that process, to be a part of the, the political process in a sense, um, where we can kind of be the, the intermediaries and the connectors. And I think that's also a really critical role that I wish more and more diaspora would stand up. I mean, Nigeria alone, you guys probably have the most African lawyers ever in existence. Yeah. All over. <laughs> so, so I think that there's a role for that in, in not only Nigeria, but in other countries. So seeing more diaspora who, you know, who are very well educated, who have access to so many resources, going back and investing those resources back into the communities. Um, I think that that's going to be critical. And I also think that um, we also have an important role of educating our African-American brothers and sisters to also be engaged on African issues, yeah. to also, instead of saying, oh, I don't travel to Africa, I only go, you know, to the Caribbean or I only go close to America. We need to change that. We need to have more African-Americans who want to go visit African countries, who want to experience it. And I think that those connections, those linkages are all going to be important in terms of changing some of the dynamics that we're seeing now. Um, and I also think that, you know, there's this organization, Tastemakers Africa, that does trips. Um, I think they're based in, in New York as well. And they do, they curate, curate trips um, for African-Americans to go visit Africa. I think all of these things are excellent and are moving us in a direction of being better informed, of being more connected, of learning, um, making those experiences that change our, that will eventually change our behaviors because, you know, hopefully the more you know, the better choices you'll make. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I'm, I can't wait to continue this conversation. Before, before we get into women in business and your particular business journey, I want to quickly talk about a great opportunity that uh, the As Told By No One's listeners can benefit from. Now, I know that you're traveling, Rama, pretty soon. Yeah. So <laughs> Tomorrow at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is it tomorrow, right? Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. So our sponsor is, is Away Travel. 
and um, they 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 make um, high quality suitcases, and you, you can choose from nine colors and four sizes. So the carry on, the bigger carry on, the medium, or the large for extended stays, and all suitcases. You know, they come with uh, interior features like patent, pen, and compression systems. I'm a very bad overpacker, so this, this actually does help. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those four 360 degrees spinners, so I always like to do, I always like to dance in the airport, so you can basically spin around um, without just having to move one way. It's a removable, washable laundry bag, a TSA approved combination lock. You can also, um, everything is also already charged with a USB cord. So, for those people that are always on their phone, always on the tablets, you can charge your phone with your suitcase. That's pretty cool. You get a um, 100 day free trial to live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, or Instagram it if you're one of those Instagram models. But, <laughs> but, um, they, uh, you know, they come compliant with all major U.S. airlines, and I am a particular user of them. You know, I, everybody knows that listeners know that I travel a lot and I go to a lot of consulting gigs to work in diversity and inclusion initiatives or global awareness um, initiatives. So whenever I'm going, whether it's on Amtrak or on an airplane, I'm always taking uh, the suitcase, and people are always wondering why my cord is coming out of my suitcase. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just got to way travel. So... <laughs> For for um, us told by nomads listeners, um, Away Travel is offering you all twenty dollars off your first order if you head over to the website awaytravel.com forward slash nomads and enter the promo code nomads at checkout. Twenty dollars off your first order if you head over to the website awaytravel.com forward slash nomads and enter nomads at checkout. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. If you want to use a suitcase. That keeps your phone alive. Head over to awaytravel.com forward slash nomads. All right. So I, I, you said a few things there that fascinated me. Now, um, I do agree that awareness is something that needs to be heightened. I mean, whether it's with, with us in diaspora, with uh, um, our Af- African-American brothers here, with our white brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, it's just something that we need to know. Now, I, I go into a lot of conversations and people simply don't know that these opportunities exist in Africa or they don't know that a lot of these products come from Africa. So I love the fact that you're pointing that out. Another thing, though, that that you do and you focus on is, the, is just making sure women in business get more opportunities. Now, between 2007 and 2016, the number of women-owned firms increased by 45% compared to just a 9% increase among all businesses. Right. So that's something that's, that's significant. 
and and a lot of times when we do we do diversity and inclusion, people don't highlight women in this. But I, I'm I'm fascinated because the buying power comes from women. So I don't know why why we don't focus on that. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of women in business? Well, not to say anything negative about the other gender. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there's fluidity in, in genders right now that we're, you know, discussing in, in American <laughs> social political commentary. Um, but I will say that the, the reason why it's so important for women to be engaged in business is women have a different way of doing business that's slightly different from our traditional view of like male dominated, you know, boardrooms and, you know, businesses. And that ten, that difference tends to be looking at the community, looking at the, not only providing a business solution, but also looking at the social benefit. Um, and I think that that's just inherently very natural for women. Um, and I think it's important that we have more women, not only in like traditional, you know, Fortune 500 companies taking on serious leadership roles, but also in the startup world, also in the the ideation and the creation of new businesses. Um, and the reason why is that these different business models are the models that we need for a better future. Um, my model is just one example of, you know, engaging women in global supply chains. Um, there are other models. I mean, uh, there are women, there's an, a, a woman's uh, run company, Thinks, that is changing the way we look at um, women's menstruation and normalizing it, not making it like a secret and also providing resources and providing um, tools to make it a more comfortable process. You know, men are not going to be creating those types of businesses, <laughs> yeah, true. but women are. And it's important because, you know, about half of the world's population are women and we need solutions that address our needs, but we also need solutions that make for better and stronger communities. Yeah, and you know, if we actually want to increase the um, the talent pool, it, it makes only makes sense for you to actually tap into a lot of the talent, you know, and, and if right. you can't eliminate half of the world's talent and say that there's a shrinking pipeline when you right. haven't actually looked at that, that to me has never worked as as an excuse. Uh, but it's just that's a personal uh, vendetta I have against those type of conversations. I'm like, well, you haven't <laughs> even. What do you mean? There, there's half of the world right there. What do you, so. Um, it's funny that you say that, Tayo, because that's how I feel as well when we have like these global competitions, like whether it's in like technology or science, and you only see certain countries represented. And I'm like, that's not because the other countries don't necessarily have brilliant scientists. Yeah. They probably don't have access from a very from a very young age to be even able to consider science. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you're only competing against a small, a smaller pool of individuals because it's not an equal playing field. Absolutely. It, you know, and that's why I get, I get so frustrated when you're like, oh, this, you know, noble prize winning scientists. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't compete against everyone. They only competed against everyone who had access to the resources and the tools to be able to even consider studying what they studied. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and the other thing that people consider working, if, if you have the numbers that say 
in high school, middle school, it's roughly around the same amount of people that do compete in tech and the genders. And then mm-hmm. it might filter off as you grow older. Then that you consider starting younger. Because, you know, I think a lot of the education system doesn't, you know, you don't tell, you implicitly tell women and other, you know, minorities that they will not have the same opportunity. So they just major somewhere else. But right. if you start younger or you hire people from non-traditional backgrounds, you can then fix that diversity gap. But that's obviously another uh, another right. thing. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, you can tell I get, I get really, I mean, it's not annoyed, but I always, I have like, there are different hacks to the system. And I don't think right. what we're doing right now is necessarily the um, the right way. But um, I'm, no, I'm, I'm glad that, you, that you, you're really talking about the importance of women. And a lot of people listening here know that, I, that it's a big, you know, I was raised by a very strong woman. And, and for me, <laughs> I, I'm a big champion of that. And I always identify as a feminist. So I think, awesome. um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep saying feminist until we don't need to say it. So I know a lot of people don't like that, but it's just... <laughs> It's you know it's there, um, but um, let, let's um, as, as we continue this, let's go back to your your business. Now the interesting thing with your business is that you opened in two thousand and five, but you only started experiencing distribution in two thousand and thirteen. Right. So a lot of people listening here are entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Seven or almost eight years before you got distribution is not the typical uh, dream that someone has when they open a business. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Can you talk about your struggles and what you learned during that period? Right. Well, um, I would. I will have to say that I also wasn't um, uh, a business the entire time. So initially, Shayomi was just a nonprofit working on like doing fundraising events, um, training the women, purchasing, you know, raising money to purchase production equipment. So for a very long period of time, we weren't really selling a product that would even fit into retail. So it wasn't until I did a pivot in uh, 2012 and really started looking at the commercialization um, that I started focusing more on like the market penetration. But I will agree with you. I do think that a lot of people are under this misconception as you have a business idea, you know, you put in your incorporation document, you get your logo, you set up your website and boom, all the money will start trickling in. And I think it's funny because everyone loves the statistic that most businesses close their doors within three years. And every time I hear that, I'm like, why do we even think you can create a sustainable business in three years? That doesn't even make any sense. Um, You need more time. You need more time to make some mistakes. You need more time to learn and grow from those mistakes. Um, And I just don't think any successful long-term business achieved it in three years. I don't know, unless you're like, you know, in technology and you're, you know, the Ubers of the world, et cetera. Um, But if you're particularly working in consumer goods, if you're working in retail, it's going to take you a lot longer. So I think off the bat, people should um, know that it's not going to take three years to be successful. And if you and if you are successful in three years, great. If you're not, keep going. So I think that that's really important. Earlier on, some of the lessons that I learned or some of the things that I wish I had paid more attention to. Number one, I wish I had developed my financial model very early on. Um, and I know that sounds like, well, duh. But most people, even people that who I either I mentor or they reach out to me, um, they don't look at the financial model of their business. They are more interested in like 
the marketing. They're more interested in, okay, what's going to be my product? What's going to be my service? And so now I always tell people, don't even launch your company or your idea unless you really understand your financial model. Um, what is your co- What are your cost of goods? What is your selling price? Um, how much money will you need? And how long will it take you before you get to break even? What are going what are your profit margins? All of that is going to be so important for you to really understand whether or not you have a solid foundation for your business. Because if you don't understand your numbers, you're not going to have a solid business. You might have a great idea, but you don't have that foundation to really grow from. And I think people get excited about their idea. They get excited about getting to market. Uh, very few people get excited about the numbers um, outside of, oh, I, I want to sell, sell, sell. Um, so I, the number one piece of advice. The other one is really understand what what your industry is. Really under become that expert, whatever it is. You are an expert. Become that expert. You have to be able to talk about your product or service better than anyone else and be confident about that. And so that requires learning. I mean, I started Shailene in my 20s with absolutely no business experience. And I would essentially go online and Google everything that I wanted to learn. And then find people who were in the same like topic area, try to get them to talk to me, um, leveraging and utilizing the SCORE program um, to get more information and get more data, but really become the expert of whatever service or product that you're bringing to market and know what solution that you're bringing to market as well. That's part of being that expert. You see this problem and you're the best person to solve it because you truly understand the strengths, issues, weaknesses about that product or service or that problem. So that's that's the second thing. The third thing, relationships, 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 relationship. I can't say that enough. Um, No one becomes successful at being a business owner, uh, being an entrepreneur, if you don't have the right relationships around you. It's going to take time to develop those relationships. The relationships I'm talking about are the ones that will either put you in touch with other people who can help fund your business, who can help introduce you to certain retail outlets, or who can help introduce you to certain uh, business opportunities. And for me, I was able to cultivate and develop relationships simply based on how I use my my time. a lot of my relationships are from volunteer uh, projects and assignments I've done. A lot of my relationships are from my church community. A lot of my relationships are from the interests that I have. So, you know, the policy side, the Africa side, the uh, women's side. And so really spend time cultivating those relationships. Look at the pool of people around you right now and see how you can make connections to some of the the key influencers within the topic or issue that you want to deal with and then start cultivating those relationships. And when I say cultivating, I think oftentimes people expect um, others to help them before they really develop that relationship. And so I really advise against um, asking someone for something the first time you communicate with them. Instead, offer something. 
offer if you you know and that's what I've been able to do through a, through a lot of the the engagements and relationships I've been able to strengthen over time is usually I'm offering to do something if I know someone is doing an event um, I'll offer to volunteer for that event even today even today with the success and you know the the achievements I've been able to 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 do, I still will volunteer for people. I still will, you know, do things that people might think, oh, well, you should be beyond that because you're running your own business and you're in Whole Foods and you're an MGM. Absolutely not. You still have to be able to be humble about um, about your about you. <laughs> And and do things. Never never think too highly of yourself, um, because that's when I think a lot of people can get in trouble. Um, really cultivate the right relationships. Um, and the reason why too is that at some point you are also going to play the role of lifting someone and pulling them along and paying it forward, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's a cycle. It's yeah. a cycle. Um, and so I would say those are my three pieces of three pieces of advice. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for those listening, we're talking to uh, Rohama Wright, who's the founder of Shale Yellen, and she just broke down three things that you can actually benefit from. Um, well, things that you can actually use and apply to your current business. So know your numbers, be an expert in your industry, and relationships, relationships, relationships. Cultivate them, and the importance of. Knowing your numbers is something that I, I, you know, I'm sure she 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 hammered on, but it's something that I can actually attest to as well. Is because um, I don't know if it, about you, but when I first started my business, I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I was just mainly going off the passion, <laughs> um, and then right. I, quick, I quickly realized, oh my goodness, I really have to know what what my projections are and all this kind of stuff. Because as I started to get into conversations with people. Those are the questions I was getting asked. Well, what are you projected to do here? What are you projected to do here? What is your path to revenue? All that kind of stuff. So knowing that and knowing the difference between an idea and a business is very, very key. So um, I love that you said that. That's that's really great. And also she also hammered in on the fact that you know everybody has a different definition of overnight success and your version might not be as quick as others, but that shouldn't be a deterrent to um, – you know that shouldn't stop you from continuing because it took right. her almost eight years – to get that distribution. I know she said she wasn't in business for the most of those times, but um, the fact that the idea was, was launched there and then it eventually led to you know distribution in major markets and now opportunity BET is a testament to continuing and willingness to actually learn about um, different ways you can adapt, but also learn about the industry that she's in. So don't, don't be afraid to start. And I imagine you took some odd jobs in between, right? Yeah. Initially, when I started Shailene, I had to take, um, I had to moonlight in a sense because I had to pay for things for myself. I had to have money to be able to cover the cost for Shailene. And it was just, it was, it was challenging in the, in, in the early stages. I worked full time for four years and then I would do part time, you know, whether it was, uh, being a hostess at a restaurant part-time, um, doing writing projects, um, d- doing um, part-time events or temp work. So for most of, I would say pretty much for all of Shailene, I worked several several jobs in order to, to be able to care for myself and also in, in order to invest in the company. No, no, it's good, it's good. I, hey, look, I mean, it's it's been... 
I, you know, I know you're you're getting ready to head out soon because you got to travel to where? I will be going to Tajikistan and Kazakhstan, and they're in Central Central Asia. Yep, yep, yep. Well, well, before you head out, why don't you tell us more about uh, where we can find out about your company and what exciting things you're up to? So everyone can find us on our social media um, at Shayeline, S-H-E-A-Y-E-L-E-E-N. So that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and our website, Shayeline.com. And um, you can support us that way. You can also support us via select Whole Foods markets. Tayo, you can you can go to your uh, Union Square location in New York. And- <laughs> I was just there. I was just there. I was there yesterday. <laughs> oh my gosh! Go back. <laughs> um, and so you can find our products through Whole Foods, and you can also now find our products at the MGM Resorts uh, at National Harbor. So. If anyone is visiting the D.C. area, definitely go there. They're using our products and their treatments. They're also using them um, in their massages, their body scrubs, their manis, their petties, and also selling at retail. Okay. Right, that's awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. I also – this is the last question. The mission statement of everything that I do is, is, is based around this statement. Use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Rama, use your difference to make a difference? It's by creating these living wages for the women that we work with. Um, that you know, I think that the difference that I bring to the Shea industry is by being diaspora, by being someone who has lived in these communities. I truly understand the challenges and the struggles that they're going through, and I use the fact that I have been able to grow up, be, to, you know, to grow up and live in the U.S. and have access to these resources and these tools to connect them to the marketplace. So. I essentially use my, my, my roots, my, my resources, my networks, my connections to make a difference in the lives of Shea producers in West Africa. Well, there you have it. <laughs> using a difference to make a difference by um, just <laughs> overall educating, raising awareness, and just creating opportunities for people that might not have had access to those opportunities before. I want to thank you, on for coming on the show. I know you, it's sandwiched in between your travel schedules, so thank you for making time. And Absolutely. No, 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 you're awesome. But ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.